Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network, sponsored by GPI. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 23, Grease Lightning. Today, we are joined by Kathleen Mercury, an educator, game designer, and fellow Board Game Broad member. Thanks for kicking off Season 2. I am so delighted that I get to talk with you today about games, game design, and all things in between. Yay! I know, we Yay. were joking, but you should have been on here forever ago, but you know, it's in the title. <laughs> Gotta be out and about in the world and yeah, published. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really hope it is, too, because uh, I am not in the U.S. right now. I'm uh, a teacher and I moved to Bucharest, Romania. And so I have my designer copy of the game and they were hoping that the games would arrive in the U.S. in June and then global shipping being what it is right now. I'm hoping for a September. It's September 5th. So very much hoping that my game is arriving uh, stateside very, very soon, if not already. Oh, I definitely understand that. That was my current game. Feeling like mm. it's probably going to be more of an October release now. Yeah. <laughs> what you yeah, going to yeah. do? Yeah. I mean, hey, as long as like before, I still have a buffer for the holidays. So that'd be kind of cool if that got, if it came out before the holidays. But so many things are out of my control right now. So we'll just leave this one to the shipping gods. Which speaking <laughs> of. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of, you want to talk about yourself and your game? <laughs> Like, what a segue that was. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> my name is Kathleen Mercury. I have been playing games for like 15 years, designing about 10, rather slowly, but I've been teaching game design to kids and in designing games like with basically when I was having kids design games, I started design games. And so a lot of my games, actually all of my games are basically designed kind of for my students um, as an audience. So they tend to be very kid friendly playtime in about 45 minutes or so. And it's kind of fun too, because of like playtesting then because, um, and, and my job is different now as far as what I'm teaching. But back when I was teaching game design, man, I could get like 10 playtests in, in a week if I really wanted to. <laughs> because, oh my you know, God, I love the captive audience. <laughs> Right, right. And if anybody out there is like, that's not okay to like have kids be your playtesters. I had them design games. And so the first game that they ever playtested was mine. So I could model the process and show how I, you know, received feedback and, you know, didn't stomp off and argue with them or anything like that. So it was an important part of the process that just so happened to have some benefits from me. And for the record, if anybody's interested in teaching about game design, I have all of my game design re resources on at KathleenMercury.com for free. And if you come across any dead links, it's because I had to transfer it from my school domain to my private domain. So send me a message. But I mean, they're being used all over the world, K through upper you know, college. So by all means. And I think they're helpful, too, for people who want to design games as well, because, you know, there's a lot of like information there that I think can be helpful when somebody's just getting started. Um, so, you know, by all means, take a look. It's free. Everything's free. Download it. Go, go for it, you know. So anyway, so that's me. Um, and then, so this game, Grease Lightning, is one that is a co-design between me and Mark Selmeyer, uh, my former partner, and, you know, but everything's cool, so no worries there. <laughs> and so this is a game, actually, that Mark had started. And he had created, it was like a racing game with, like, basically, like, flat cards that you laid down, and you kind of, the path sort of shifted. And I didn't like it. You know, there's certain things, like, I just didn't feel like, it, like, for a race oh. game, 
game to do. What? You're just like, I didn't like it. I'm going to make it better. I didn't. I didn't. I hated it, honestly. And I think, you know, that's one thing sometimes, you know, uh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's, (laughs) yeah, I can't help that. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes I'm a total pain in the butt to play published games with. I try to be better when I'm around non-gamer people, non-game design people. If I'm just like playing games, I try to be really good about it and not, you know, just play the game, play the game, right? Play the game. But I know sometimes as designers, we start thinking of it as if this was my game and this is how I would kick the can this way. And this is what I would do here, you know? So we're all guilty of that, I'm sure, in some little ways or in my case, probably bigger ways. Anyway, I didn't like the game and we were off driving to his parents' house and I started saying, no, this needs to be like Mario Kart in space because it was a space theme and like crazy little race and you're, you know, in a circle and the patterns, you know, the paths can change. And Mark's a graphic designer, very, very visual, um, does really brilliant Robo Rally interpretations that are just absolutely mind meltingly difficult. He's been running those at Gen Con. He's such a visual person. And so so am I, but like not to his level. And so like... Like, as I'm describing this, he's like sketching furiously. And finally, he's like, why are we going to my parents' house? We could be at home designing games, you know. And oh so my that's God, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, uh, so that's when I came in on the, on the project. And the other thing, too, is I think especially being with, you know, the work that I've done with kids and playtesting games with kids, being very much attuned to the player experience. And I think that's especially where when it came to, like, changes that needed to be made in the game, you know, I could see very clear examples because that's the best thing about playtesting with kids. Well, there's a lot of really great things, but they do not sugarcoat anything. If they like something, if they don't like something, you can absolutely tell from their body language and they come up with the best, like craziest ideas. And most of them, you know, like anytime you get like suggestions for changes, but you know, a lot of times they don't work. But sometimes kids would come up with something where they're just like, well, what would, you know, what would happen if, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, like that's it, that's it. In fact, on Grease Lightning, there is a student who is credited because I had a problem that I was wrestling with for like a year. And because basically there's dice to, it's a presser luck, you know, relatively simple, but a presser luck um, mechanic to determine how much you get to roll. And since you're rolling dice and it relates to movement, one of the problems was, is that somebody could fall so far behind they're functionally out of the game. No one likes that. I didn't like that, obviously. And so trying to figure out a way to create some sort of like catch up mechanism that again, wouldn't totally, you know, just hand them the keys of the castle, but keep them in contention. And so I was playtesting this game and this one student, Lucas, um, suggested, uh, and his name's on the rules and I talked to his mom, so it's okay that I'm using his name. <laughs> and, um, and he suggested that I basically double this one die for the player who's in last place. And it gives you a little bit of extra protection. I should probably talk about the game itself, but I'll get that in a second. Anyway, he solved a problem that like I'd been wrestling with. And in fact, when he made his little suggestion, he was like leaving my class, walking into his English teacher's class. I still remember that moment because he's like, well, what if you just doubled the die for the whoever's in last place? And I was like, you know, and it's just one of those moments where like, I've play tested this game so much, like I can run it in my head basically at this point. And I was like, oh my God. Like, that's it. And it's such a simple thing, but it really does work. And it helps to prevent anybody who's in last chance to, like, keep them in contention. Won't help them win, but keep them in contention. Where we, You know, if you roll badly in, the, in this game, like, yeah, I can't help that. I'm not going to fix that. But, you know, but generally speaking, if you're falling behind, it can give you enough of a little, little push just so that you can, you know, stay in the game. So 
that's some of the best parts about playtesting with kids because they're just, they're fun and they love games and all that. And they come up with some great ideas. Um, that is amazing. So then yeah. for anyone who hasn't played your game, which sounds like since it's still on a boat is everybody who's <laughs> going to be listening to this, or maybe by the time this airs, they will have played, but how yeah. do you play? <laughs> well, and there are a few review copies out. So at least they got enough of that. So other people are starting to talk about it, which is fun to see. Um, so basically the game is called Grease Lightning, Grease like the country, and you are sailors um, racing around. Um, it's a two lap game. And as you're racing around on this board, you uh, encounter various obstacles. And so there's good things that happen. There's bad things that happen, you know, that sort of thing. There's spaces where like the favor of the gods are upon you and you like, you know, you get a card and maybe it's good. Maybe it's not so great. And that was one of the things too, because especially there was a lot that we took from kind of existing kids games when it comes to race games and like amplifying everything to give you some choices you know because the big thing with the game kind of the, the little sugar in the cup of coffee here is the game is made of these pizza like wedge shaped pieces and so that as you're playing you can get the ability to draw a wedge and then place it on the board so you can put something down in front of you that helps you you can put it down in front of somebody else that hopefully hurts them, you know, so the board changes as the game goes. And so there is a suggested setup for the start, but especially if you just play like with random pieces from the board to start, you can get all kinds of crazy little configurations going. um, And that's always fun. And it was cool because actually I took the game with me to Greece and um, I got to play it a lot with my 10 year old niece. And it was one of those things too, where especially like when you play a game so much, you you know, design a game and you work on it for so long, it's hard sometimes not to see like the things like, oh, there's this or I shouldn't, you know, you know, like it's really hard to get out of your head sometimes with that sort of thing to really, you know, like focus on what are the things that you would have done differently. But especially when I was playing with her and just how much she was laughing and then like putting something bad down in front of me. Or when she realized that she was going to get all this other stuff and just like seeing her so excited about that. And we had so much fun playing it together. And I was like, yes, this is what it's about. I mean, I think it's so cool that my niece got to play like my game with me, but especially just seeing her as a kid having so much fun with it. So that's pretty fantastic. So yeah, I, uh, yeah I'm really happy with it. And I actually really love the Greek theme too. Originally it was space because, you know, space, you can do whatever you want, but oh, yeah. um I really do love the Greek theme and it was fun to have the game in Greece. So I got some fun pictures of myself holding my game in Greece that I actually bought from like Amazon, some sort of like uh, costume, uh, some like Greek sort of like costume. And I took it with me to Greece and, and I wore it holding my game at the temple. And as soon as we took a couple pictures, this very nice, but firm man came up and said, no products, no advertising with this one particular temple in the background. I was like, oh, okay. So I haven't actually shared out that picture because I feel bad. But it's just a really good picture of me holding my game with the temple and I got my toga and it's sunset Aww. and Greece and all that. That's okay. I've got other pictures that I've shared that are pretty fun. So um, it's just the best one. And so, it, so it's funny because like, people are like, well, you could just share it. I'm like, I understand, but they asked me not to. And I don't know. They, yeah. <laughs> I don't break rules or at least I choose which ones I break and that's not one of them. <laughs> well, I'm usually actually like, I, especially, you know, like <laughs> I will, I like to know what the rules are so I can like stretch them as much as possible oh, and not it. necessarily break them 
But that said, you know, when it comes to games and game design, if there's something people don't like in my game and you want to house rule something, do it. You bought the box and do whatever you want with it, you know? Very true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you switch over for the theme? Like, was that something you thought of? Was it something that like your publisher decided on? Like, how did it go from space to Greece? Yeah. So the game is with WizKids and Zev Schlesinger of formerly Z-Man Games liked the game back when he still had Z-Man. So he actually took it for evaluation back then. But then like right then is when he sold the company to F to Z Games and then they got picked up by Asmodee. So Asmodee was like, we don't take outside submissions. We got the game back. And then I like was we worked on the game some more. And it was good, you know, like, cause like having that time where we didn't have the game, you had to really think about like, oh, why did we do this? So we made changes. And then we actually sold the game uh, to IDW Games. And, and so they had it for like a year and we asked for the rights back after the year of nothing um, kind of happening on the game. And luckily we did get the rights back. And again, after not looking at it for a year, it's like, wait, why did we do this? And why did we do this? So it made like probably the best improvements to the game. And so immediately after that, I showed it to Zeb, like, hey, we still have this. And he was at WizKids and he was like, cool. He always had liked it, but there were definitely some things. So we just basically what would happen is we would make changes, uh, test them out, show them to him. I'd show them to him at some sort of game convention because I do love game conventions when I'm stateside and um, show them to him. And then they would get feedback. And then like, finally, 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 he was like, yes. And so that was sort of like the, this game itself has been a journey through messy waters and everything just to kind of keep, <laughs> keep pushing forward. And I think that's one thing that I don't think this is like atypical. I mean, the fact that this is, I mean, I've got two other games that are signed, but this is the first one that's come out. And I signed, you know, and, and I signed one other game before this that's still in the, is still in the development process with the publisher. So I think that's one thing, too, especially when you're designing games, like ask any designer how many games that they have sold and then just never came to fruition. So I'm just so incredibly thankful. Like, uh, like according to Facebook, it was a year to the day from when I signed the contract to when I had my physical copy in hand, which especially in pandemic times, because I just got the copy back in May especially in pandemic times to have that all happen so relatively quickly, I think was pretty astonishing. But yeah, so I just feel really lucky that it's actually like coming to being. And, you know, certainly the other games are good progress is being made on those. So that's exciting too. Uh, But it's just actually having the game with my name on it, like finally available. (sighs) It's so good. Gosh, I think this game is about eight years total from start. to. I mean, and that might be like back to Mark. I don't have the exact dates, but it's been a process, especially, you know, when I was talking about like game was being evaluated and then getting the game back. I mean, there's a lot of gaps. Plus, the other thing for me is and Mark, you know, is is having him on this project actually probably kept it moving along a lot faster because he's a graphic designer. And so he's able to very quickly and beautifully iterate upon the game into like whatever it needs to be. And this is a very visual game as far as like what the, the courses and how they change and diverge pathways and all that. So that certainly helped with, cause if this was me making prototypes, I, you know, there'd be times I'm sure I'd be like, Oh, okay. But he would just crank it out. So that was really good. And, and, and it was fun, though, like the, the process of once it was signed and moving into the development phase, that was really fun because it was under a pretty tight time frame, especially when they would play test and get feedback. 
uh, when they play tested it with lots of designers and we got all of their feedback. And that was, I mean, that was, <laughs> there was like eight pages. So I was like, I thought the game was done, <laughs> you know? Oh um, yeah. Oh no, no, it's okay. There's, there's no, I mean, there's, I firmly believe nothing is ever finished. Games, games are never finished. You just stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless you invent chess, you know, you just stop. So there were times, like, especially when we got all that feedback, it was like, well, we've tried this, we've tried this, we tried this, you know, and there's, so there's, so it was that I, I enjoyed that part of the process, you know, especially because a publisher has to stand by the game. They have to be wanting to sell it. And if there are certain changes they want to make, I mean, as a designer, you can always, you can say no, you can always advocate, you know, like whatever the relationship is that, and whatever your contract stipulates, you know, obviously can, you know, change how, how the game design process goes overall. But I really enjoyed it overall, just sort of like because learning, you know, from their process, from, you know, what they were looking for and how we were making those changes, their rationale towards it. I would say, you know, as a designer, always stay open to any and all types of feedback. But there were times I said, no, you know, like, I understand why you're saying this. We have tested this. This doesn't work. This is the best possible solution to X, Y, Z issue that we have come up with. And there, and so there were times like, OK, well, then then that's what we'll do. So that it wasn't like it was like, you're going to make all these changes. And I was like, yes, I will. You know, so it was very fluid. But the most humbling thing, honestly, out of the whole process, because, you know, we could make that we could have the whole argument, games are rules, rules are games sort of thing. Right. With this, you have to, you know, rules are the hardest part of creating a game, you know, because this is when you say very specifically what the game is, what it isn't, you know, student, you know, play, I say I said students, <laughs> players must, players may, players can, like all of those words are so important. And then trying to answer all questions before they get in. So like a lot of times when I write rules for a publisher, they're, they're way too long because I'm trying yeah. to make it very, very clear for every single situation, like what you can do, what you can't do. So they had the rules edited by the amazing Jeff Frazier. And oh, mama, like I was, I thought my rules were actually pretty good. <laughs> But it was amazing, like what he had taken from what I said, like how I said to have the game and like how he was able to just condense it down into very clear, very specific language. I was I mean, it was that was cool to see. And it made me realize like, whew, I, you know, I am not good at writing rules. No, I'm just kidding. I'm good at writing rules, not necessarily for publication. And I think that's a very different skill set. But anyway, that was fun to see from my perspective, the, the difference in terms of how someone else could encapsulate and express what I was trying to say, but do it in a much more elegant, efficient way. So that was fun. So interesting. I've never talked to anybody who discussed how rules get changed, just having like an editor and stuff. That's very interesting. I know that I've shown rules to publishers that they were definitely like you. Like I wrote down like everything that could potentially go wrong or any question, like Mm -hmm. just overdo it. And it would scare them because they're like, this is this is supposed to be like a kid's game. Why are there so many rules? Like this is going to be a huge rule book. Like no parent is going to want to read this. I'm like, well, no, because like when we actually do the finish, rules you're gonna have like diagrams and pictures so you won't need as much text but it's right it definitely has scared people oh yeah no and i can teach the game in you know five minutes you know i can give you the base idea of the game in 20 30 seconds so then with every like kind of explanation you can add on a little bit more detail more detail more detail but it's just how you explain them in person is very different especially when you can pick things up and move them and all that other stuff is so different from how you're putting it down in written form and how you teach it and how you express the rules may or may not. It's actually a really good trick for those of you out there in TV land 
who want advice on writing rule books because one of the best advice is to record yourself teaching the game. And then how you teach the game is how you should write your rule book, at least to start, at least for the first draft, because I found that really helpful. And the other thing for me, too, is when you're typing and you're looking at a blank cursor on the screen, unless it's a typewriter, and that's kind of cool, but most of us <laughs> assume you use computers. Probably. And, <laughs> probably. And so the thing is, the game is this visual object. Obviously, having the game right next to you is a really good idea. But the other thing, too, that I would just do is I would think about what I wanted to say. I just like close my eyes, picture the game, and I would just say it out loud and then immediately just type that down. And it was just it's such an easier pro- way for me to do it than staring at the screen and like watching myself like hammer out word by word, because then your brain sort of gets distracted by that process where I need to just basically see the game, say what's happening, and then type it up. More free advice from your old pal, Kath. <laughs> I love it. So for this game in particular, what did you find special about the design? Like if you could choose one thing that you thought this is really cool and unique. Like I have well, an idea of what I think it might be, but <laughs> I'm curious. Well, yeah, no, well, there's there's two things that I like. One is obviously it's the way that the tiles are. The way that they work is really, really innovative. And it's the kind of thing that I'll be excited to see, maybe-ish, probably excited, um, if other people sort of adopt a similar system for other types of games where you want to have a circular board that changes because how Mark designed them, it just works really, really well. You'll, you never have a dead end. Um, that was totally my guess. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, that is, it is really, really amazing. So I love that. But the thing that I also really like about this game is when you have roll and move race games, and that is the vast majority of games for kids. And, and like I said, this is a game that adults played like, but I, I usually just my focus has always been on kids. Kids are super OK with like, take that stabby. You just blew up. Like kids are way more OK with that than adults are. So trying to bridge that between what kids are OK with versus what adults are OK with. But the other thing, too, is like to give them choices, you know, that you can roll, you know, you can roll your two dice. And then you can roll a third, but if you match the previous die or you're below it, or well, if you match or increase it above it, then you can keep that third die. But if you roll below what you'd previously rolled, then you lose one of the extra die. So anyway, giving kids choices as far as that. And there's, you know, and it's, and it's, it's manageable probability as far as for the kids, you know, like they can, you can talk about the math as far as like, well, what are the chances? And since they're D6s, you know, it's like, well, you know, you rolled a three, so... You've got what chance to, you know, to botch the roll, that sort of thing. And also, too, like as far as movement goes, you know, most kids games, you're moving in a straight line. Well, there's the pathways. And so then like what pathway you want to take and where you want to put down the wedge, because it's the kind of thing where if kids play really, really quickly, you know, like you can play the game really fast and just kind of go with it. But you can also really be strategic by looking at what you're placing, where you're placing it. And I think that's one thing that I like about it, too that you can be a lot more strategic with it as an adult. And you can get kids to like think about it too, obviously. But I like that it can have a little bit deeper play for adults. But it's still like a fun, light kind of filler game where you're just going to race around and do some light, stabby, stabby stuff. But nobody's ever out, which was something. Originally, we had where there was player elimination when there was a space theme and there was a black hole and you could get sucked in. And that was actually fun to design because the way we made those wedges, they were designed yeah. and they had levels. So the first was pretty easy. And then the second and the third, those are just meat grinders. Those are just designed to just, you know, funnel people right into the butt because it was a last man standing game because you're in space. Like there's only so much like damage you can take and then you blow up or if you get sucked into a black hole, see you. Bye bye. But the nice thing about the grease theme was that because it's like the Hydra has sort of replaced the black holes like the little monster that you're fighting. 
But the nice thing with the Hydra was um, with the black hole, it was mostly dangerous, like by the middle, or we would try to like drive people to the middle. The nice thing, because the Hydra, their heads can pop up at any you know, distance from the center of the board. So that actually opened up some really good balance issues that the game had from before. And that, it wasn't a problem, but switching to the Greek theme, it made the game thematically make more sense and allowed us to kind of balance out the quicker, more dangerous inside versus the safer but slower ways on the outside of the board. It's so cool. And you guys leaned into like the Greek mythology for a lot of the cards and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And I totally left my sister off the rule book, um, Karen Lucas. Um, Ouch. I know. I know. Well, so. She's in, but she doesn't. That's funny. I know. It's so funny. Well, yeah, and his name's Lucas too, so we'll just pretend. But um, no, my sister, her last name's Lucas. So my sister, when we made the switch to Greek mythology, I mean, I enjoy the little mythic tale as anybody, but I'm not really one who's been super into mythology the way she has been. And so I called her up and I said, hey, we've got all these powers and everything. And she knew the game, obviously. And I said, we've switched it to a Greek theme and I need your help in figuring out what gods would go with what power. And if there's anything else that you can think of, like any cool gods out there that you could come up with a power for this game. And her response to me was, I was born for this. <laughs> so that. she, yeah, she did a good, she did an amazing job. Like Aries is a jerk. So Aries just does bad things to other people, you know, that sort of thing. My favorite one that we had to change uh, was Hestia, uh, who, again, I didn't, I don't even know I even heard of Hestia, to be honest, but Hestia was the goddess of the hearth, of the hearth. And yeah. she like, she likes you. Like, she's just nice, you know? And so on the card, it was, you know, the Hestia card was like, she's sitting by the hearth. She likes you. Like, that's it. No positive, no anything. It was kind of like a neutral whatever card. And I thought that was hilarious. And they disagreed. So we had to change the Hestia card to something else. But I just thought, man, if we'd made it like a different god, or just had taken the Hestia card out, that would have been like a, in my mind, like kind of a funny promo, one that they would not make. But a funny promo where you would get this promo card where literally it's like she likes you and there's no positive or negative benefit. You know, it's nice. like she likes you. You're doing great. <laughs> but that, Have a great we, day. Enjoy your Gen Con. Yeah, <laughs> Thank exactly. you for coming to our booth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know. So she like gives you a fish. And there you go. So that's okay. Because you need fish in the game. Why wouldn't you need fish? You need fish to fight the Hydra. You need fish to re-roll, obviously. I mean, come on. So, Well, that sounds nice, too. Not as funny, but it still sounds probably more useful in the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that was actually really fun. And especially considering my sister's knowledge of Greek mythology is deep. That is, That was one thing that was really fun about it was like seeing all, how we could take all these different god powers, put them in. So when I was, again, playtesting with students... And kids who are really into mythology, they were like so excited when they would see the various gods coming up on the cards and like that what would they be would me. do. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm like, so oh my I, god, this god. Yeah, or I'd be arguing a- and be like, oh, this is wrong. I want him to do this or this. Yeah, right. Like, there's a lot of them in the deck. I don't remember exactly how many, but there's a lot, like twenty maybe. So there's a lot of, yeah, so you get like, you know, your um, your Zeus's and Hera. Although the one funny thing that I kind of did for a while was instead of Hermes, I had it listed as Mercury. And wow. I didn't tell them <laughs> until fairly, I know, I thought it was funny, but I did tell them, hey, I have in the files, it says Mercury, technically it should be Hermes. 
And they're like, yeah, we should probably change it. And I was like, oh, because I kind of wonder if I had not said anything, if that would have just slipped under, you know, should have like, changed your name to Apollo because it's the same for Greek and Roman. Well, I guess. That's my nerd. Now, <laughs> nerd where, where were you when I was getting divorced and changing my name? I mean, really. Um. I'm so sorry. You know what? If I get a time machine, I will definitely make that my top priority. There you go. Well, you know, it's funny, actually, because at my, my new school here uh, in uh, Bucharest, they like I had to write a little bio so teachers could learn about me. And it was, you know, like the, I'm a game designer and all that other stuff in addition to being a teacher. But the other was that, like, what's one fun fact about yourself? And it was that I... I chose the name. I picked out the name Mercury for myself. And man, that, yeah, people were like, you picked out your own name. I'm like, I sure did. I made myself a god. <laughs> Goddess. So, god, exactly. Oh, yeah. But there's, I mean, there's so many cool associations with Mercury and I just love it. Yeah, it's been fun. Like, especially like showing my students my game and it's like, whoa, you made this. Or like, because I'm a math and science teacher now at my new school. And especially like in the math department when we had our meeting, like to introduce everybody, the first teacher meeting. I gave a little, you know, about myself where I used to teach and all that. And then the head of the department, he's like, well, and you're a game designer. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so, I, you know, do then. And that's one thing, too, because especially like, you know, for mathy people, you know, people who tend to enjoy math tend to enjoy games. And yeah, that was <laughs> that was a that was a good way to make my intro there, because um, that's one thing, because I haven't taught math before, but um, games or math, you know, they have such a strong you know, structure and like mathematical thinking, processing and stuff like that. So that's one fun thing. You know, I'm not teaching game design anymore, but I'm doing a lot more design thinking as it relates to my content and how I can have kids play games that help them learn concepts. Like there's a game called Eleusis. It's a game about making rules and kids have been learning about patterns and sequences and how you construct patterns and they always have to have a rule. So we've been playing um, a slightly modified version of Eleusis Express in my classroom so that they can basically create different patterns with cards and the other kids are trying to guess them and all that other stuff. So it's really fun to bring this like game design perspective to math because I personally never enjoyed math classes. So I'm just trying to teach the way that I would have wanted to learn and we'll see what happens. <laughs> definitely sounds way better than any math class I took. Well, I'm trying. I mean, I've got sixth grade, so there's a lot of wiggle room for play. You know, I mean, we actually, I mean, I have to teach some things, but you know, when we get to like positive and negative numbers, we can totally make up race games, you know, where the kids are like, you know, playing cards to like move along to try to play tug of war on a little thing using their cards and whatever. There's all kinds of ways they can like in each of notch be a different type of, you know, player. So if you get to this guy when on the tug of war, maybe he's going to do an extra tug hard that turn or whatever, you know, there's all kinds of like crazy ways you could play around with it where they're trying to be strategic about positive and negative numbers. They're learning what positive and negative numbers are. And then they're still making, you know, they're learning the concept while they're playing games. Like, and I love that. So oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody knows any especially good games that are very mathy that are appropriate for sixth graders, please send them to me because I would love that. That's so funny. We just recently played Stone Age and it'd been a while since I'd played it. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot how much math was involved in this game. <laughs> You're like, I gotta, think about, I gotta think about remainders? No. Don't I know. That. I was just like, what is this? But also, I know, I mean, it's, it's a great game. 
but I know, it, but we should contemplate kind of, it late at night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the one that always makes me laugh is Ticket to Ride when you're doing like your final scoring. Because I never do my scoring during the game. I just always do it at the end. Yeah. Then, but it's so funny because you're like one plus two plus one plus three is like the you know the scene in Clue. But um, but you're like one plus one. Okay, that's one. Okay, plus two. All right, all right, that's four. Like you're like you know because it's like this is basic basic math. But it's like sometimes because I think in pictures, so I don't think in numbers. And so when I'm doing it, like I'm having to like really picture it when I'm doing it. And so that was another reason why I struggled in math. And I think another reason why I love games because of that visual sort of aspect, like there's a lot I can do when it's visually in front of me and I'm able to think about it in a visual way. So yeah, I think that's why I like games and game design so much. Ticket to Ride, that one always makes me laugh. It's like, I swear I can do basic addition, folks, but does you <laughs> Yep. I played that also last night at a very late right. hour. We finished it at like 1 a.m. So I was like, damn, wow. why are you playing these games so late that required thinking? Well, which is your favorite <laughs> version of Ticket to Ride? Uh, you know, I feel like I haven't played enough of the different versions. I've Can only you? played the original Europe, the New York, and like the London okay. one well, or just, whatever. Okay, so just actually those are three really good ones. U.S., Europe, and New York. Which one do you like? Pick I actually like showing people the New York one just because it's a mm-hmm. lot smaller quicker to play so yeah. it's like a good intro to the game yeah good good friend of mine calls that one um a phone booth knife fight you get in stab stab you get out and i think you're right that is and especially for students when it because ticket to ride is hard to finish in a 45 minute class period especially if you're teaching but ticket to ride new york you can teach that bad boy set it up play it do all of that in one class period it is great but i do love the train stations in europe where they give you that one little like extra bump where you can like share a pathway with somebody else because that cuts down on how aggressive. I mean, it is fun to be super aggressive and ticket to ride New York where you're like blocking pathways from people and stuff like that. But it is nice because the Europe map is hard enough sometimes that you've got that little wiggle room there. That's true, but I freaking hate those tunnels. They frustrated me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just keep your locomotives and make sure that you get the big... uh, Eight card route at the top, you know, you'll be fine. <laughs> and then to circle back to your game, I want to know what was your favorite and least favorite part of your design journey? Well, let's see. My favorite. I, it, okay, I always consider this my high water mark game because this game I've been working on for so long and decisions that I made in the beginning, I wouldn't make now. And I think I, as I got better at game design, the game got better. And I'm also proud of on the same token that I don't think the game is over-designed, which I think can happen when you have a game that you've been working on for a long time where you fix problems by adding more things. This is definitely a game where I feel like we were able to like kind of find the core and focus on that. And I mean, there's still some things, like I said, like, and I think that's just going to happen with any time you make something, you're like, oh, I kind of wish this would be different because there is a lot of variability in the game because of the wedges and the dice and you want players to have a really fun experience, you know? So like, especially when, like, if there might be something that I'm not happy, like, I just got to get over some of that. But I would say anything that's just typical for any time you design anything. So I will say that for me, I like one that my favorite part is I could see myself getting better as a designer. That was also my least favorite part, too, though, I guess, in some ways, because when I would have a problem, like I'd be stuck on it for a while. But luckily, through playtesting, like after a while, like either I have the epiphany or somebody offers me some really good ideas. And and then, yay, we're able to like unstick and kind of lurch forward again. And I love that feeling. That's so cool. And then if you had any advice to share with any designer, like what would be that advice? (sighs) 
Well, play test with kids, I would say. I mean, based on this, you know, I mean, honestly, like the importance of playtesting and perseverance, especially running in-person game design groups in St. Louis, where I'm from, you know, we would have people show up with a game and they would play test it and they would get feedback and it was something that they didn't want to hear. And then we would never see them again. Like that's hard to take personally, especially if you're not used to it. It's hard not to say like, oh, they, you know, like my idea is terrible, i.e. I am terrible. And so the people that would disappear and we'd never see them again. You know, I wouldn't necessarily feel bad, you know, because I mean, as far as I'm concerned with my games, like if there's a problem, I won't know until somebody tells me to fix it. And so I would say for new designers, if you're afraid of playtesting, just you'll get over it. Just play test, play test, play test. Don't argue with people. Just listen to what they say. Write down every single idea, even if it's something you've already heard before, because as soon as people feel like they can't tell you what they think, that pipeline of ideas just shuts down. And I will happily listen to 99 ideas that I can't use or won't use to get to the one that might open up a new possibility for me. And that's the other thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Persistence and playtesting, you know, get your game out there, listen to people and keep going forward. So, Kathleen, is there anything that you're currently working on game related? Well, it's been as a teacher, it's been a rough year for like game design because taking everything that I've done or having to create things anew because of teaching remotely has um, honestly, it's it's been exhausting, you know, like as a teacher to do all this. So this past year, it was funny because I would get invited to like online game design conventions and stuff like that. And I was like, yes, I can come and play, you know, but I, I just, I can't design, like I wasn't designing because I was doing basically so much design work, like during the day, at night, weekends, just for my classes. I mean, I'm in person right now, but we'll see, hopefully. I mean, at some point, I imagine, you know, like Delta hasn't really hit here yet. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully not. Plus two with like teaching with, you know, math and science and a whole new approach and all that other stuff. So I haven't really been designed much. There's a couple of games that I have like kicking around in the back of my head. The one that I that I think is funny, because that's usually what happens is like I have to think something is funny in some ways. Yeah. And it just like captures my interest. Like, oh, that'd be good. I have a, a, and let's see. Well, you and I have talked about a drawing game that we need to get going on. That I still think is good. And then there's one actually based on Mercury Retrograde. Obviously, because of my name, I, you know, but I think the idea I'm not a spiritual person. But like, especially when people like when Mercury goes in retrograde, like people are willing to associate all kinds of things to it. Mercury is the god of like transportation and commerce. So some sort of like shipping deal making game. But then when Mercury goes into retrograde, like, you know, I like the idea that as a player that you can basically push it hard to try to win, but you might blow yourself up and blow yourself up out of the game. You know, that if Mercury retrograde just bites back, basically. so. I think that's a fun sort of concept that I'm kicking around a little bit there. Plus, like the way that I have it in my mind has the board has some some moving pieces and everything. So it's like a good right now, which is a good back of my head thing. But I did just finally get because that's the other thing, too, is I've had like very few games and like no game design materials until my shipment of all my stuff. It just came in this week. So. I'm going to be getting a really nice table that I can use just for my design stuff. And, and I've got, you know, all kinds of prototyping material. So that'll make it a lot easier to work on stuff now that I'm here. 
That's good and exciting. Mm-hmm. And are there any games that you have signed that you can talk about or are yeah, those all so, hush hush right now? No, no, I think everything's cool. Um, so there's Dragon Rock. That's with Colossal. That is a scenario based fantasy dexterity game where I jokingly call it Gloomhaven meets Flickabop, but that's probably not accurate. Um, but it makes me laugh. One where basically you are dragons and you are tired of these so-called heroes coming in, trampling your rights and your autonomy to steal your gold. And being a dragon, you're not really inclined to be nice about things. So you're basically burning them and their village to the ground. So you're, you know, using cubes to firebomb um, little meeples to knock them over. Um, you can drop, you can flick. There's a ramp with like a thick wooden disc where you can roll them down. So you're like bowling for meeples. There is um, also a rod. They can use to like swoop your dragon down to knock into the pieces. Um, so that's pretty fun. So that's one's in development because especially they're looking at different modules of like more scenarios that people could get as add ons. So I like that idea of those expansions where people can, you know, just that you can have that core game, but then each of these modules could add like totally different methods of gameplay. Like it could be cooperative, you know, like the game in of itself can be flexible to all different types of gameplay. So that's really fun. And then the other one is Valkyrie, which is a highly thematic abstract with Greenbrier games. I always wanted to make a game about Valkyrie. Valkyrie were goddesses of the Norse battlefield. They could choose who fought. They could choose who were slain. And they made tapestries out of the bodies of the dead. And that is what you do. You use your Valkyrie to move around various Vikings. They're color-coded. And so that when you create a battle between desired Vikings... You basically pick them up and drop them on your board into basically like your tapestry and go from there. But the thing with that game that made it cool is how I designed the tiles that when you place the tiles on the board, you actually can form Norse runes. And when you form a rune, you can make an offering to Freya and then that can unlock other abilities for you to use while you play the game. So that one was interesting, especially when I was pitching that one to publishers, because, you know, like people either saw that the way that the Valkyries played or the moved and the runes as two separate sort of games smushed together, but then others, including luckily Greenberg, Julia with Greenbrier Games, saw that those pieces work together. And so that one's really fun. And I'm excited about that one too. And that one came together like in months. So I went from like 10 years for Dragnarok, eight years for, because Dragnarok, that one started out as Dirty Birdie about pigeons pooping on people, which was pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So 10 years of that, eight years for Grease Lightning, and a matter of months for Valkyrie. Wow, you really are getting better at designing. <laughs> I guess so. Faster. I mean, not right now, but, you know, and that's one thing, too. It's like I, I'm a teacher first and foremost. You know, the needs of my students are always going to come first. And so when it comes to game design stuff like that's that come that comes second you know i mean i like do, do i wish i could be more prolific sure but on the other hand like in terms of games that i've designed and pitched to publishers i'm 3 for 3 so there is something to be said about you know <laughs> working on things to be like really quality i guess so for sure and then for anyone who is listening to this podcast where could mm-hmm. you be reached so the easiest best way to find me is through my website, kathleenmercury.com. You can email me directly. People do, and I welcome it. Many times I get emails from teachers saying that they have found my website. They love the resources. And I'm like, cool. Do you want to Zoom with me? <laughs> They're like, what? And I'm like, no, like because there's a lot of things I can talk with you about to help you plan, give you some feedback, some ideas, you know, that sort of thing. 
And I really enjoy that. So if somebody wants to teach game design, or even if you're not want to teach a game design, but you know, I've talked to people who want to design games. So through there, because you can always just email me. And I'm on Instagram at, at Mercury with seven M's and Twitter too, at Mercury. Awesome. And then anyone who wants to reach me, you can find me on Facebook at DMR Creative Group, Twitter at Creative DMR, and then on Instagram as Token Gamer. And that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. Um, yes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unbox Inspiration to publication episode 23 grease lightning and kathleen we are going to start with you as this new way to end the show i want to know if you could design or be the designer of any game so like you're just switching it out pretending that you create a pandemic or whatever Mm -hmm. game what game Mm -hmm. would that be well i always say my favorite game from a design standpoint is survive escape from atlantis everything about that game i just love it's so mechanically and thematically intertwined the decisions that you make as a player make sense. It's so fun to play. Like, I don't even care if I win or lose because I have such a good time actually just playing the game. So yeah, like that's kind of, that's the game that if I didn't necessarily design, I'm sure glad somebody else did. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a ton of fun. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication, brought to you by GPI. Whether your game needs graphic design, product development, sourcing, or manufacturing, find out how you can take your awesome game idea and get it made by GPI. Go to madebygpi.com, the leading service provider in the toy and game industry. And if you would like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out the No Direction Network at nodirectionpodcast.com.